Welcome into this week's edition of Leading Edge. I'm your host, Jeff Smith. Election season is upon us, and with that in mind, we wanted to share a conversation that we had this week with Ohio Lieutenant Governor John Houston. In part one of our conversation, we talk about the state's social media parental consent law. That's new. Also, the impending vote on issue one. Let, let's talk a little bit about this bill to, I guess, allow more parenting of social media. So I, I'm interested in how you police this. How do you how do you force said company to give specifics to just the state of Ohio? Well, let me start by explaining why it's important. Uh, it has been, it's very clear from the Surgeon General report and other research on the matter that social media is causing problems for the mental, physical, mental and physical health of our children and um, impacting their academic performance. We know that social media companies are using algorithms to addict our children to these platforms and excessive social media use, particularly for children under the age of 16, is having a very negative effect on their lives. And while we don't want to ban anything, we do want to make sure that these companies don't go around parents to reach their children. So the bill included a provision that requires social media companies to get parental consent before any child signs up uh, to their social media sites. Uh, the companies, this will be on the companies. They have, they have the responsibility to make sure that they know who the age of the people using this, their social media sites, uh, what their age of the people on the sites, and if they're under the age of 16, that they get parental consent before allowing those children on. There are a variety of ways that they can do this. It's really up to the tech platforms themselves to design the method that they wanna use. Uh, you can simply check in with driver's license or credit card information uh, if you'd like to do it that way. But we also would encourage them to verify this with, actually it's more than encourage, they have to verify this with parents uh, for anyone who signs up under the age of 16. What is, their time, what is their timeline by the state of Ohio to get this done? Yeah, they have until January 15th of 2024 to comply. So there's time for them to develop these platforms, to develop the checks and balances on these platforms. But they're not going to just be doing this in Ohio. South Carolina has a bill. Utah has Arkansas, other states are also requiring them to do this because they see the same thing happening in their states. The federal government isn't taking action. The states are taking action. Uh, and again, no one's banning anything. We're just saying you can't go around mom and dad to reach their kids with these addictive algorithms. Hypothetically, if January 15th comes and goes and you don't see any platform changes, does does that social media platform, does TikTok, does Facebook, does Twitter cease to exist for these people in Ohio? How do, how do you police well, that? Well, they would be in violation of the law. They would be subject to fines and penalties. And you could go to court and ask for an injunction to shut them down if they refuse to comply. So uh, we hope, we, we are confident it won't come to that. These companies know they have an obligation to do it. Uh, I believe most of them will do it uh, in, in line with what we ask them to do in the law. Uh, and if they don't, well, then there are ways to hold them accountable. Let me ask you in the interim, between now and then, obviously a new school year just getting ready to start. Can schools be 
uh, I guess, can they be a partner in all of this? Can they police it in any way, shape, or form? Have you gone that route? Have you asked? Having these conversations with school leaders, I hope that the enactment of this law starts a conversation early with parents. Uh, if you have uh, a child who's using social media, talk to them about it. Find out which applications they're using. Um, if, you, if you're concerned about the content, you can go in to these sites right now and set filters for the amount of time that your children are on these per day, how late they can use them at night. I would encourage you to not let them take their technology into their rooms alone because you wouldn't want a stranger in your child's room having a private conversation with them. But uh, if you let them in, use these social media platforms alone without any filters, that's exactly what can happen. So we hope the conversations start at home, first off. But schools are seeing this, and I hope schools will feel empowered to take more action now that they see the power of law holding these companies accountable. Some schools are experimenting with no phones in schools, particularly for junior high and younger children, uh, that uh, they don't have access to these during the school day. Uh, so I know these conversations are difficult sometimes, but they're so, so important because the, as the Surgeon General report stated, social media and gaming platforms are causing academic harm, physical harm, because children are more and more sedentary all the time and not getting exercise. And uh, they're certainly having mental health issues as it relates to bullying, eating disorders, and even suicide. I saw an, an alarming statistic the other day that prisoners get more exercise than children do these days. School Prisoners are spending more time outside than children. Think about that. Uh, our children... Uh, are spending too much time on these platforms in general, and we need to have a balance in their lives. Social media can be fine. It can open your, your eyes to a world that, that maybe um, can be enlightening from an educational point of view, uh, socially interesting, but just they can't become addictive. You've got to have a balance in your life, and we hope that by forcing these companies to get parental permission and making it easier for parents to set filters on these platforms that we'll see an improvement. John Husted right there, stay with us. We continue our conversation with the Lieutenant Governor right after this. Welcome back here on Leading Edge. I'm Jeff Smith, your host. Uh, coming up on August 8th, we've got a statewide election happening. And on that ballot, you're looking at issue one. It would change how amendments are made to the state constitution. The lieutenant governor talks about that. He also discusses a recent high-profile arrest on the turnpike and the Supreme Court's decision on race in college admissions. You came out in support of issue one, uh, obviously coming up here in a couple of weeks, big vote. I, I, I wanted to ask a couple of things because w when you look at the guidelines, at the ramifications that this will establish, does it... Does it set a precedent, I mean, as far as the future of voters being able to get things on the ballot? Is, is it a no-win situation? Why do you support issue one? Well, I said this when I was Secretary of State oftentimes, that I, I love the Constitution of the state of Ohio. It gives us freedom of speech, freedom of religion, but unfortunately it also gives us the right to casino monopolies on four sites around the state. Uh, there was an effort to make marijuana monopolies around the state. 
The problem for Ohio is it's just too easy for outsiders to who have wealthy, deep pockets to try to use Ohio's constitution to give themselves monopolies or special interests enshrined in our constitution. And so the idea that we make it more difficult to amend the constitution, I think is a smart thing to do. Uh, I understand that there are disagreements about how one should do that, but a 60% threshold is not an unreasonable threshold uh, to set. For no, in fact, I wanted, I wanted to mention with you today, uh, if you look by comparison, in its bylaws, the Democratic Party of Ohio has a 60% voting threshold. When League of Women Voters, more than 60% voting threshold. So I, do you look at that as hypocritical? Because they're coming out dead set against issue one. Well, I would say that they have some pretty good ideas in their bylaws, and what's good for them should be good for everybody else in the state of Ohio. I Look, if you're going to do something that's huge, like amending the Constitution, you should have a significant majority of Ohioans who come out and vote agree with you on that. And so setting this standard is a reasonable thing to do, uh, and it will prevent a lot of out-of-state wealthy interests from coming into Ohio and hijacking our Constitution. Finally, on this topic... The getting signatures in all 88 counties, it seems unattainable. I don't think so. I've been to all 88 counties probably as much as anyone. Uh, they have county fairs. They have festivals in every one of those uh, communities. It's, it's pretty easy to track down a handful of folks in every county to sign those signatures. I don't think it's an unreasonable request to do, to ask people to include all 88 counties when you're going to amend the Constitution. Lieutenant Governor, and a couple of other things I wanted to cover with you here today. Affirmative action, Supreme Court taking a hard stance on that. You've got schools in the state of Ohio right now that have said they've come out. Overland College, Kenyon, saying they may still do that as far as their admissions are concerned. Your concerns going forward as far as state colleges and schools within the Buckeye State that don't adhere to what the Supreme Court is asking. Well, if we want to stop discriminating on the basis of race, our institutions should stop discriminating on the basis of race through the use of affirmative action. And that's what the Supreme Court said. The Supreme Court didn't say that you couldn't find other ways to achieve diversity of, of, of your student body by income, by location of where you might live or grow up. All of those kinds of things are certainly other ways that you can achieve a diverse student population. Uh, but if schools don't follow these rules, then they will be subject to litigation. And uh, that will cost the taxpayers or the students of those schools uh, a lot of money because they will lose those lawsuits. But, but, but how do you, and I've asked this a couple of times, I apologize, but how do you police that? How do you have a check and balance as far as schools and admissions is concerned? Well, the court system will be the one that polices it. That's how our criminal justice and civil justice system works. Uh, but in Ohio, uh, the law of the land is the law of the land. Uh, we will expect our boards of trustees and state institutions, which the governor support, appoints, to follow the law. And if they don't do that, then 
obviously there can be consequences uh, for those institutions uh, in the state of Ohio uh, through state government or, or, or through uh, uh, the legal system. I don't think we'll have a problem with that with the public systems in the state of Ohio. Uh, they will follow the law, I'm quite confident. The private schools, well, they, if they fail to do so, they do so at their own liability, literally, uh, financial liability. You can't discriminate on the basis of race, and so don't discriminate on the basis of race. But if you would like to have uh, the virtues of having a more diverse student population in your school, the court gave you many other mechanisms and ways to go about doing that based on income uh, and a variety of other experiences that students have in life that allow them to bring a diversity of thought and experience to the campuses. I don't think that this ruling is going to have a negative effect on the climate and the culture of what happens on our campuses. However, it's going to move America toward Martin Luther King's dream of not having people judged on the color of their skin, but rather by the content of their character. You and the governor have talked about border safety over the course of many years in office and WTOL 11 just within the last few weeks reporting an interception of an MS-13 gang leader on the Ohio Turnpike. Uh, we also did a report talking about fentanyl trafficking along I-75 corridor in Wood County, over 2,300 arrests over the last 10 years. I, I want to go to the MS-13 gang leader being uh, picked up on the turnpike somewhere around Sandusky and your concerns for what and who is traveling along this corridor. Well, first of all, I want to thank all the men and women of law enforcement for what they do every day. They're out there. Um, literally risking their lives to protect us, to take gang members, drug traffickers, criminals uh, who want to do us harm to our person and property, getting them off the roads, getting them off our streets, getting them out of our neighborhood. So thank you for your service. Uh, but the Highway Patrol works very closely with the uh, folks from uh, immigration and the other uh, various law enforcement uh, entities that investigate these types of crimes. Uh, they have worked closely with Border Patrol. Uh, and I'm, you know, I think they do a great job. Uh, but if you see things, please report it to local law enforcement, help them make it easier. We know it's happening out there. We know the need to do this is, is incredibly important. You talk to any local sheriff or police chief, they'll tell you the scourge of drugs fentanyl is still very very real in our communities and that those drugs are coming from across the southern border that's why governor dewine uh and i have supported sending the national guard ohio national guard down to the southern border to help protect uh, we also have sent the highway patrol down there to help support other law enforcement entities why are ohio uh, national guard and highway patrol down at the southern border because we don't want this coming across the border and ending up our, in our state, like you, you've seen in some of these um, um, arrests that you've mentioned. Uh, we are trying to help support Texas, Arizona, New Mexico. Uh, other states are helping to support uh, border activities through National Guard and Highway Patrol activities. We got we to gotta close the southern border. If you don't have a protected border, then you don't have a border at all. 
and we need to make sure that we're doing all we can to protect that southern border from illegal activities because it's not just drugs that are coming across. It's child traffickers. It's human traffickers. It's all kinds of terrible, the terrible things that we see manifest in our local communities that really get their origin coming across the border. Uh, and we need to support um, law enforcement uh, cracking down on those things at the border, but also supporting them inside our state to make sure these things don't happen. Because if you want to have a prosperous economy, you want to have a qu high quality of life, you got to protect people and their property. You got to stop the scourge of drug drugs. And that comes with what our law men and women of law enforcement do every day. Our final segment with the Lieutenant Governor is next. Welcome back in our final moments with the Lieutenant Governor looking ahead to 2026. A couple other things. Um, you guys recently put a lot of money to continue a study uh, of the US 23 corridor between Toledo and Columbus. Um, there, is, there have been years and years and years asking for that bypass of a better route. Wallet Hub just came out with a study saying that you know, Ohio's the number four state in the Midwest for taking a road trip. However, there are 38, Team Akag up here said there are 38 stoplights between Toledo and Columbus. And I just, I want to ask you, how, how much faster can we proceed with getting this bypass to be a real thing, to get it to happen? Well, there are, I'll, I'll let that, uh, I'll let any announcements or results of those that work uh, be announced by the governor. I'll just tell you this, um, there's no easy solution to this. Uh, I have made several proposals internally and asked the Ohio Department of Transportation to study it. Uh, I know of some ways to get to Toledo that don't require all of the stops. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I would encourage, uh, there's a variety of ways to get there. It just depends on where you're trying to go in Columbus. Because uh, I go back and forth to Toledo all the time. Uh, I'm up in Northwest Ohio a lot. I've driven every path that there is. And at certain times a day, there's no doubt, it's very, it's very difficult. But there's no easy solution to this. Because um, a bypass, uh, just to, to walk you through, to avoid 23 is to take you to 71, which is in many cases at certain times of the day, not a, not a better option uh, because of uh, traffic congestion there. So, um, I think that the, uh, the Department of Transportation owes a report on this so that everybody can evaluate what they see as other options and then evaluate from a cost-benefit point of view. Uh, I have, uh, I guess I won't say right now, but I think that they're, I, I'm encouraging them to explore other options than just the ones that they've looked at in the past. I think including uh, an option that includes 75 connecting to ultimately to 33 is another option that should be looked at, opening up another corridor uh, from Toledo to Columbus that uh, should be considered as well. Um, but we'll let, the, we'll let the traffic experts study it and look at the cost benefit analysis and decide which is the best alternative for um, the travelers all along that corridor. Finally, uh, we know that you, in February, it was reported that you had filed the paperwork. We know that johnhusted.com is a real thing. Um, can you bring our viewers up to date on, I guess, what 2026 looks like for you right now? Well, 
as I know you will expect, I am going to stay focused on my job as Lieutenant Governor. I'm having an amazing impact on economic development, workforce development, innovation. I believe we're making Ohio the go-to state in the Midwest. We have the lowest unemployment rate in our state's history, and I'm, I'm excited for what our future holds. But uh, I'll wait until after the presidential election settles itself to make any announcements on what I intend to do in the future. But I will make it very clear johnhusted.com is is uh, not there for uh, any other office other than a potential run for governor. And, and if uh, that time comes, when that time comes uh, for uh, after a conversation with my family and my, my close friends, we'll decide uh, whether we're going to go forward or not. Governor, I appreciate it. And I know that Northwest Ohio roots, I don't, I don't remember if you said you were an Indians or a Tigers fan, but how about them Reds? I know the Reds are killing it. Uh, it's fun to see. Uh, it's fun to see all of the Bengals and Reds fans come out of the woodwork in the last couple of years, right? Uh, to oh see gosh. all that happening. It would be. Uh, we're, we're still. We're still. You know, going to keep our fingers crossed that one day we can experience a Browns Bengals AFC championship. Uh, wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, and the Indians and the Reds in the World Series and. We'll know Ohio has just like we will be the heart of it all clearly once those two things happen, even if we're not already. Right. A final word right after this. If you missed any part of our conversation with Lieutenant Governor, check out the WTOL 11 YouTube page or the Leading Edge podcast. I'm Jeff Smith. We'll see you again next time.